Welcome to a very special bonus episode of the Midwest Game Nerds Podcast. I am Alex, and with me today, a very special guest, a friend of the show, a game nerd in his own right. Rick, how you doing, Rick? Hello. I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and I'm very happy to be able to talk with you today about a game that we've gotten a chance to play called Tunic. Um, long-time listeners of the show might remember when we went to PAX these, the past two times, uh, you know, in 2018 and then, uh, just before Corona hit in 2020, um, we got a chance to meet with the people at Finji who published the game Tunic and we met with, uh, Dicey as well, the creator of the game, Andrew Schuldice and, uh, we, we were very struck by how special and awesome this game seemed to be and so uh when they emailed me and said hey here's here's a code to review the game i jumped at the chance and uh i'm i'm very excited to be able to talk about it more in depth with people today here's a little bit about the game before we go any further developed by andrew schuldice tunic is a game shrouded in mystery and intrigue Crafted to evoke feelings of classic action-adventure games, Tunic stars a heroic little fox as they explore a foreign land that hides danger around every corner. Discover unique items, new combat techniques, and arcane secrets as our hero forges their way through an intriguing new world. So, basically, I think the way that I want to start this off, um, just kind of general impressions about playing the game. I can say, for me... You know, at first glance, I think one of, one of the kind of joking ways or references that they make to try and talk about this game, uh, I remember seeing the creator on on Giant Bomb uh, during E3. They were calling it Zelda like a fox, <laughs> and like that that's a very like shorthand like here's what you're doing. You're a fox. It's kind of like a Zelda game, and you know you get to you you have your sword. You fight things, and, you know, that's, I think that's a very great descriptor and just kind of, like, puts it in people's head. But for those who haven't seen the game, you should look up a trailer, and, and it's very much an isometric view. You know, you have your, your view of the fox, you're, you're running around, you're exploring, you're finding, uh, you know, treasure chests and different things like that. And, you know, those can give you items to help you on your journey to defeat different enemies and things like that. And I think uh, it sounds pretty standard when, when I describe it that way, but then I'll say the game goes even deeper and further with a plethora of different types of secrets. And that can be anywhere from like chests that are hidden from view from you to, um, you know, potentially a language that you can't necessarily decode, or maybe you can, I, I, I couldn't tell you honestly with with where I'm at in the game, um, but Rick, wh- what do you think about kind of like how's your experience been being absorbed into the world of Tunic? I think the Zelda analogy is apt, but I also think it is intentional and very subversive in that regard. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I think a lot of the footage that was released and the playable demo included a lot of very obvious nods to Zelda. Like, um, you have a shield and you have a sword. The shield is red and blue <laughs> and you can like chop grass down, chop bushes. There are pots that you can break and mm-hmm. collect some sort of currency, currency from them. Yeah. Um, but it, it was pretty apparent I think fairly early on that, that it did go much deeper than that and that there was much more and there was like a rich world that felt very lived in and that felt like it had a real history to it. Yeah. Like I think honestly, one of the first things I'm fairly certain we must've talked about it in our previous episode where we talked about playing the demo, but um, one of the things that you run into, you pick up an instruction book booklet, page in the world Mm -hmm. and it basically pulls up this page you can kind of flip through both sides of it and it's basically showing you like hey here's your controller your controller has these buttons on it and these buttons do these things and in some cases the descriptions are in a language that you cannot read and in some cases it's using english and so i think one of the things that i really enjoy about first of all like the the nostalgia of having an instruction booklet in the first place is fantastic right like you don't get those in games anymore totally but this game really harkens back to a point in time where like you could read these instruction manuals and actually like learn way more about the game than you ever would have anticipated you know like like a Zelda game, I feel like nowadays if you're a kid you sit down and play Link to the Past and then at some point you get to the hookshot you're like, oh, this thing's awesome. It's a sweet, like, it lets you get over these gaps and things like that. But, like, that and manual probably told you, like, hey, there's a thing called a hook shot, and it will do this thing. <laughs> yes. Whereas, like, I feel like more naturally nowadays, you'll just see, like, the different things that you would need a hook shot for in the game and be like, I wonder how I'm going to deal with that. And then eventually you find the item and you go and do it. So having that manual to kind of page through and obviously you find several different pages throughout the game. Um, and you use kind of context clues to wade through the English and non-English parts of the manual that you're, that you're looking at. I think it's a very cool mechanic that like this manual teaches you how to do things, but it also does it in kind of nonverbal ways as well. Totally. It feels like, really nostalgic and almost like an homage to video games of like our youths. Yeah. I mean, we're like, um, we're not that old, but you know, playing games, we're, we're starting 20 to years get ago. there. <laughs> yes, it's true. <laughs> Play games 20, 25 years ago, I think was a, a very different experience. I think oftentimes like you alluded to instruction manuals would kind of spell out a, a, like the breadth of a game and all of the items and consumables that you would come across. And it was exciting to read about those. Mm -hmm. And I also think that manuals, a well-designed aesthetically manual was like a real good marker of the craft that went into the game. I think there were often games that I would just love looking at the manual. That was one of the more disappointing experiences of renting video games when I was a kid is whether or not you would get the manual. Mm -hmm. Um, But the game treats it like a, like a tome of sorts. And it feels like this really, reflects like self-reflective um like 
love letter to video games almost. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this manual is so well designed. And there's also like a really interesting modern spin to it in that you don't get all of that information up front and it's kind of doled out to you piecemeal over over time. And some pieces of the manual are even like a little bit harder to come by. So I think mm-hmm. that's another aspect of, of the game of just how much is like swelling under the surface. Yeah. Um, it, it's a lot of fun when you find a page that like describes or shows you something and you're like, Oh, that's what I could have been doing there this whole time. Or that's what these items that I've picked up do. You know, it's funny at one point when you were playing, you texted me and you talked about how you weren't being super like, uh, experimental in the, in the items and things that you were using and equipping, I was the same way. Like there were some items that I picked up. I was like, I don't know exactly what this does yet. So I'm going to hang on to it. But that's mm-hmm. like my normal, um, my normal neuro- neuroses when playing a game. I'm the guy that like gets all the money in an RPG, but then never goes to the shopkeeper to buy anything. Right. Yep. So it's kind of fun. You know, then eventually you get pages that just kind of explain some of those things to you. Or, you know, if, if you, if you take the time to read through what you pick up, it's a little bit easier for you to start to infer those things. And then obviously there's the level of experimentation to it too, that I think makes, you know, makes it new and exciting when you pick up like a red pepper. What does this red pepper even do? You know, does it, does it give me health? Does it do something else? It's, it's interesting. So, um, but yeah, I think the manual is beautiful. I'm excited for the eventual limited run games print of this where I get a copy of that manual because I need one. I think <laughs> it would be so sweet. Agreed. Um, it is it's it's really really beautiful. Mhm. Mhm. It also it does it does function as well as the map for the game too, mm-hmm. which I think is fun too. Like you'll find those like you said, you'll get a page uh for an area and after being in that area for a while, and then it's nice to be able to kind of see your little tunic fox marker in the world and kind of place yourself around things. And then the other thing that's really fun is that you'll notice, in some cases on the maps, you'll notice like pen markings where whoever's playing the game has been marking it up and giving you hints towards like maybe hidden items or like different traps or dangers that might be around. Yeah, I think that's another aspect of it that, that made it feel so nostalgic. Because as a kid, mm-hmm. while I did very much value my things, I would, if it were of a practical use, like a map that came with Zelda, yeah. for instance, I would definitely be marking it up to mm-hmm. take little notes. And so it feels very like authentic in that regard. Absolutely. Like manual, these manuals, for anybody who's listening that doesn't know, I don't know if there are people that will listen that are too young to remember this stuff, but like, Manuals oftentimes came with notes pages at the back for you yeah. to write in them, right? And, I've, you know, I feel like it was more like, oh, uh, this game has a password-based save system or whatever. Like, if you're playing a Mega Man, you can write down your code, I guess. But even some games that didn't necessarily have that system would have those notes sections. So it's kind of fun to to see that in practice here and to have it be really a mechanic in the game of, like, parsing the information that's given to you at those specific times. So I really did enjoy that. Um, I want to circle back to the combat real quick, because I feel like, I don't know if you played, I don't necessarily want to disparage a game, but I don't, did you play death death's door at all? It came out. No, I didn't. Nope. Wanted to. 
It's uh, published by Devolver Digital. Very much a kind of a similar game to Tunic, or at least trying to be a similar game to Tunic, where you're playing this crow that has uh, different weapons and things and magical abilities and stuff in an isometric view, fighting enemies and collecting items, that kind of thing. But, like, the combat in Tunic, to me, is super responsive. You know, slashing at things, dodging away, you know, there's a certain amount of invincibility frames when you're dodging, too, that type of thing. Like, it just felt much more controllable and responsive compared to something like Death's Door, where I think they were trying to go for something very similar. Like, if, if Death's Door, if they told me, I don't mean to, like, drag them, but if they told me, like, hey, we saw Tunic and we wanted to make a game like Tunic, I'd believe them, because I think that's how close it is. But there's something that feels so much more refined about the control of being able to roll in and roll out and, you know, locking on onto enemies and, and fighting in that way. Like, I, I really feel like whatever work that they did to refine the combat you know there were a lot of people that i feel like wanted to call this like a souls like mm-hmm. and i wouldn't go that far necessarily like it's not i also don't want to put anybody off of trying the game because i feel like the difficulty spike here is very different compared to like a souls game yeah but um but i will say that i like very specifically appreciate you know even just the mechanics of the combat compared to some other games that I've played recently and even just like how good it feels to be able to fight things as well. Totally. It feels very precise and mm-hmm. feels, I think it is somewhat analogous to dark souls, but I would say it's less clunky. I think mm. maybe that word's too reductive. I think it is more responsive, a little tighter, snappier. Um, but it, yeah, it ends up feeling nice. It's quick. And if, like, I think precise is the word that comes mm-hmm. to mind when I think about it, just because <clears throat> it does what you want it to do. Whereas Dark Souls or like Souls like games, you can put too many inputs in and it kind of like cues up a bunch of actions. Yeah. You like, you don't run into that here. It's m- much more responsive. Yeah. You're not really locked into the animations in this game the way that you are in a Souls game. So, yeah. Um, the other way that I think people were thinking of it as a soul's like is that when you do die, it does um, it leaves a soul in the world for you to go and collect. And fortunately, like it does, you don't drop all of your currency. I think you only drop like twenty or something like that. Which, when I came coming from the demos that I've played into this game, I was a little bit worried about that because I didn't know that. I thought I lost everything. I didn't pay attention to that when I was playing the demos. So knowing that I only lost twenty, I was like, okay, I can. I can relax a little bit and you know, if I die a lot, which I did in some cases, um, it wasn't too bad. But the other cool thing about it is when you go to collect your soul, it also like lets out a pulse that'll damage and like stagger the enemy too. So it's this kind of like, Oh, we know you had a little bit of a tough time here. So we'll give you like, you can choose to employ that when you come back to your soul, which is kind of a cool mechanic too. Yeah. Without going, I was going to say, I wish that was an Elden Ring, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, keep going. That would be nice. Without going into too much detail here, I feel like you can use that pretty pretty strategically mm-hmm. in, that, in, in other ways as well. Okay, that's, I'm going to need to talk to you about that afterwards. Cause yeah, that's <laughs> a little vague, but intentionally. <laughs> yeah, no, I, pre- I, I appreciate that, and I'm sure the people listening do as well. W- one of the other things that I want to talk about, like I think the game is very... There's not really any dialogue that you're engaging in. 
uh, you know, the manual's got that different language in it, but like, there's no voice acting. Um, there's not really like, you'll go and inspect things and dialogue pops and dialogue bo- boxes will pop up. But like really a lot of what you're getting out of the story of the game is just from observing kind of what's going on and what you're trying to do and putting together the pieces from the manual that you have to kind of understand what's going on with with the game and, and kind of what you're aiming to do. There's no like objective markers necessarily or anything like that. So in a sense, it does feel a lot like even going all the way back to like a Zelda one where you kind of get dropped into the world and you're, you're going from screen to screen. And yes, the manual might spell things out more directly for you, Mm -hmm. but you kind of need to explore to meet people, find items and, and things that actually help you progress into the game. And I really, I enjoy that about this game. The fact that like it's relatively light on the story, but you can kind of get more from it the more that you look. And, uh, you know, I, I really enjoyed that instead of sitting through cutscenes and, you know, I, I just got out of horizon zero, uh, horizon forbidden West. And, and while I really enjoy that game, there is a ton of dialogue and there's a lot of like cutscenes. So it was refreshing to kind of just, engage with the game at my own pace rather than you know it's also not condescending in that regard like it doesn't i feel like as a as a person playing the game i never felt Mm. talked down to which i feel like many games do and that i think that is also present in the way that this story kind of unfolds yeah and it is a very visual visual game and i think much of the storytelling is well and i think I think there, there there was one moment, and I'm not going to describe anything specifically, but there's a moment after the quarry in that area mm-hmm. where I was just walking by something, and I, I decidedly looked at what was happening in the background and around me in that room, and I was, like, struck by, like, I was like, oh, that's what those things are, is kind of what I got out of it, and I was like... Oh man, like it, it, it got a little heavy for a second. And so I appreciate that the game was able to do that without me even like really fully reading or like intentionally trying to comprehend something. I just kind of happened across it and I, I really enjoy that. I think like one of the things that I'm surprised that it's taken us this long to actually mention is that like this is a game to me very much in the vein of Fez. Yes. With that environmental storytelling, with the plethora of secrets, with the potentially translatable language, I'm not sure, but I think, and, and and so it's like Fez was felt like a once in a lifetime kind of video game to me. Like the fact that I was there at release, able to play it and delve into those secrets and not just look them up and figure out like, Oh, this is what I needed to do. You know, speaking of souls, like I feel like some people enjoy the souls games because they're there at the beginning. They can start to learn what all the items do, that type of thing. I think tunic fits into that, that category for me of like being there at the start and understanding and figuring these things out is certainly part of the fun. Absolutely. It harks back to like childhood memories of being at, at, at like the, on the playground at recess talking yes. about games and then people saying, did you know that in this game you can do something and it feeling just so outlandish and not knowing if they're 
telling the truth and the, but just this, yeah. like that level of wonder that used to come with, you know, pre-internet gaming. Absolutely. But to also to that point, I should say that as, as someone who received a review code for the ga- review code for the game, they created a discord for people to be able to come and discuss the game and the secrets that you find and, and kind of start to figure some of these things out. And so I think very intentionally, you know, they want people to come together and discuss these things and figure out kind of the secrets of tunic and, and help other people f- understand um, what, what they've learned from, from their inference in the manuals and things like that. Like, I think, it's a lot of fun to just sit down and discuss with other people. Like, here's the things that I've figured out how to do. And, you know, this is the, I went over here and did this thing and, and, and it unlocked something for me, that type of stuff. I think it's so, it's a lot of fun to get that communal aspect to it. And I, you know, I regret not necessarily being able to do that for you. Like I did in a couple places because you were kind of like, I feel like I'm a little bit stuck here and I gave you some hints, but like, it, it would have been a lot of fun if we were able to play it kind of parallel and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and experience it at the same time. So I think, yeah, I think that's something that, you know, if all of this sounds good to you, if you like something like a Fez, if you like being able to come together with the community and find something like the, the Finji discord, I think is probably going to be a great place to be. If you're playing this game, there's probably also going to be a subreddit that'll pop up if there hasn't been one already. Um, so that's certainly places that I would look. But I also would say I never really felt the need to delve into that Discord too much. Like, I I very much wanted to try and figure out as much of the game and secrets and things like that as I could uh, on my own. So I feel as though if that's not something that you want to engage with, you don't have to. But I yeah. think you you will reach a point where you would want to would be would be my guess. So yeah, I think it depends how stubborn you are. I remember yes. like Fez, I didn't want to look up anything, and at the time yeah. I was playing it, there was nothing available. Exactly. Um, and I figured out the majority of puzzles, except for the most obtuse ones that had like some arbitrary. Some crazy non- path where you're trying to yeah, like exactly go and figure out every single step of the way right yeah yeah no and I'll, i will say much like fez i did pull out pencil and paper and start <laughs> trying to like chart things down after you know trying to go after some of the stuff uh towards the end of the game so i really any game that makes me do that because i need to like just write it out i think i can very much appreciate that um but yeah i mean i the thing for me, so I was telling I was telling you before we started talking that uh, I don't know what the price point for Tunic is, mm-hmm. and you know it is a it is an independent game. Uh, you know, Finji's an independent publisher. Um, you know, Andrew Shoulders, like I said, he he's the creator of the game, but also like there's like maybe like seven to five people in this in these credits. You know, like it's he 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 created this game himself worked with a team of people to kind of put put it all together power up audio i think is in the credits as like you know helping with the the audio design and stuff like that life formed are the people that made the the soundtrack you know so but it is very much 
one person's creation, I think, in a lot of ways. Not to discount other people's work on it, um, you know, but I think Andrew's vision for this game came together in, like, a very beautiful way in the end. And, like, even in the little slices of demos that we were able to play, like, you could tell that it was there. And the fact that, like, four years after us experiencing it, it's finally come together uh, probably after seven years or more of his life. Mm-hmm. I'm super happy for him. I'm excited that it's as good as it is. And I really hope that like this game blows sales expectations out of the water. Cause I think honestly, it's something special that everybody needs to check out. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I'm I, it's kind of profound to me how technically solid the game feels mm-hmm. many games that are created by smaller studios or individuals often feel a little rough on the edges or yeah. maybe don't really nail the presentation or don't really maybe like have a harder time to balance the scripting and camera with the movement in like actually playing the game. And I feel like this one just kind of nails the execution across the board on every front. I think even at the level of like music scripting, I think that the music scripting in this game is so good. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember when we were first playing Fez when it came out and you talking about like Fez being a game where perspective is important and you're changing your perspective of the four sides of everything with the left and right triggers. And if you walk behind something, Mm -hmm. You know, it puts like filters over the music and you experience things very differently. And that's also something that happens in Tunic. But the other thing is, is that like, what I found really beautiful is that as you venture through certain areas of the world, it's generally the same melody that's playing, but like different instrumentation comes in if you move to different parts of the world and things kind of change up in the music as you're moving through it. And I think like it it works so beautifully and everything kind of connects together in such a way. And it was extremely surprising to me. Like, I guess surprising is maybe the wrong word, but like it just very much struck me when I was walking through the world to be like, Oh, it's still like, this is the same song, but there's just different parts of it that weave together. And like, there are these invisible dividing lines where if you walk back and forth across them, you can hear those changes happening in real time. So Mm -hmm. it's like, there's like, seven versions of the same song for each area that all kind of interweave with each other. And I think that's just like, that's incredible. Like, like you said, the system of it working like that is just so ambitious and and great. Like, I think they executed so well on it. So it's surprisingly cohesive Mm -hmm. from my perspective, because I feel like I've experienced it in other games where it just feels like a little rougher, but here I feel like the execution of it once again is just kind of was nailed. Um, and then there are a couple moments where there are like lower high pass filters. When you look at the instruction manual, there's a bit of a high pass filter. Yeah. And I think that touch is nice because it sort of replicates the physical form of having like a CRT TV that's pumping out this audio. And it's almost as if it feels like diegetic in that way. Like you are no longer in the game. You are like a user of the game in this like Mm -hmm. fictitious world. Yeah. That's interesting. That's one thing that we didn't mention is like when you pull up the manual, the game screen that you're on kind of like 
zooms out and pixelates like it's on an old CRT TV, which is, it's, it's an awesome detail. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's, that's interesting. I didn't necessarily think about that way, but it's like, yeah, the way that the Fox maybe experiences the music in the world being different from the person who's on the outside of it. I think that's, that's pretty fun and, and interesting. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else big hit wise that I want to hit. Is there anything that you think we haven't touched on as of yet? Um, let me check my notes. Yeah. <clears throat> no, I think I touched on all the, the big things that, that I want to, and that we, that we can. Yeah. And that's the thing. So yeah, we were given some, some specific details about what we should and shouldn't touch on. And absolutely like Rick and I will be the first people to kind of be like, Hey, you should experience this as blind as you possibly can and just enjoy it and drink it in. Like, absolutely. Like this game is a, a full hearted, like if this was set, they could put this up for sixty nine ninety nine on Xbox. And I would be like, I need to buy this. Like I, I having played the game, I'm extremely happy with what I've gotten out of it. And, and to that point, to me, this is the type of game where it would be worth a full price release. I think, if I had to guess, I think it's probably going to be like a thirty nine ninety nine. Uh, I hope it is, because if it's any less, I think they're leaving money on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think it's certainly worth everybody's, everybody's hard-earned cash. Um, it is coming for uh, Xbox One, uh, the Xbox One consoles, the Xbox Series consoles... And then it's also on PC and Mac as well. Um, so if you have any of those platforms and you want to check it out, please do. It's a, it's going to be on Steam. Um, I don't know if there's going to be like a uh, an itch page for it, but that might be something to check on as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's just a really beautiful game. It is one of those like once in a once in a generation kind of indie games that I really hope just is a smash hit. Like I hope everybody plays this game because it's, it's such a beautiful, unique experience, you know? And I'm curious if it hits the same way for younger people too. Like in terms of like the nostalgia that we have for that instruction booklet is one thing, but like, I'd be interested to see if, if younger kids would, would pick that up and be like, oh, this is cool, and then not really reflect on it and like even try to glean all the information that they can off of it, too. Um, I do think part of the design of that works even without the context of, or like without the past experiences of, of you know, holding and reading instruction manuals and like writing on them. Because yeah. I, I do think it, it, is presented in such a way where it is like part of the story and part mm-hmm. of understanding the game that I think it, it's like a really effective storytelling device Yeah, to where I think yeah. it just maybe is more rich for us. But I, I do think that without that context of like what an instruction manual even is, mm-hmm. um, I would suspect that people are still going to be like, find it compelling. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think that's true. Because I feel like, you know, anytime that you pick up, like, the, the instruction manuals in the world are these, like, glowing white pages that you see. And anytime you, you pick one up, it very much pauses the game, pulls up the the page, and you can take a look at it. And, and 
it fills the screen and then you can even hit like the a button to zoom in even further and look at it even in closer detail you know see the dots that form the colors in, in that sense in some of the pages so it's kind of like that treatment of it yeah very much i think encourages people to look at the closer details and i i appreciate that about it too so um but yeah no tunic is wonderful uh rick i'm so glad that that you got to play it that we both had the opportunity to play it same um very very grateful for the folks at at finji and uh and for andrew shoulders and uh uh eco partners as well the people that they're doing the their um publicizing with i think uh i really hope this game is huge i hope everybody listening checks it out and uh you know once you and i are both uh more i I guess one of the things that we didn't necessarily specifically touch on is that like the game is filled with secrets Mm -hmm. it is chock full of secrets and there are things that even though i've like quote unquote finished the game I feel like there's a lot to come back to and continue to parse, whether it's things with the manual or just in the world, um, to try and figure out. And so, um, you know, I hope that at some point you and I can sit down and really just hash out some of the really secret stuff after people have had, had some time to sink their teeth into it. And, uh, and, you know, we've been able to, you know, invent a new language and figure out how to speak the one in tunic. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like I've, I've sunk a, a, a non-trivial amount of time into the game, and I feel like I've I've only scratched the surface, really. Yes. Yes. So, everybody, please check out Tunic. Uh, and, yeah. Rick, thank you for sitting down to talk with me about it. I yeah. appreciate that. Thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah. Um, and, yeah, anybody... Uh, so, I'll probably talk about Tunic a little bit more on the next Midwest Game Nerds podcast as well, just to kind of try and convince John and Brian to check it out too. Um, but then also I'm planning to be on the DLC podcast, uh, the, the Sunday after this, this episode goes up. So please check that out. I'm excited to, uh, effusively heap praise onto, onto tunic once again there. So, uh, thanks everybody for listening and I'll see you next time.